What's up, Multiply Church? This is Pastor Zach. Hey, listen, I'm on, I'm on the flight headed to Nicaragua. Can't wait to see what God's going to do. So obviously I'm not at church this Sunday, but Pastor John is going to be speaking. I'm pumped. Listen, he's one of my best friends in the world. He's smart. He's witty. He's a fantastic communicator. So let's give it up for Pastor John Hernandez. What is going on, Multiply? How y'all feeling this morning? Come on, man. Somebody get excited. I know, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. Who's this guy? I'm, I'm like your weird little brother. That's the way that I've decided it's going to be. I know you're like, Pastor Zach's a lot younger than you, Pastor John. First of all, stop judging me. Second of all, you're right. But uh, two and a half years ago, my wife and I had the absolute privilege of our lives to be sent into the city of Charlotte to plant or to be a part of Center City Church, a part of the Multiply family. So we are related. Like you and I, you don't even know. It's like the weird brother that lives in a room that we're in the same house. It's just different rooms. I'm so excited to be here with you this morning. I love Pastors Appreciation Month. Um, I, I've kind of grown up around this. Any uh, pastors, kids in the house? Anybody grew up in a pastor's home? There's a couple of y'all. Any MKs? Maybe you grew up in a missionary home. All right. The rest of y'all, you probably partied with a pastor's kid. You know what I'm talking about. I have a heart for pastor's kids, and as much as I appreciate pastor's appreciation, I just think that sometimes we need to spend some time um, just praying for our PKs. So I, I know that, again, I'm your uh, weird little brother that you probably don't know all that well, but I'm going to ask you to do something with me. Um, I didn't actually have this plan. woke up this morning in prayer and just really felt compelled to pray for your pastor's kids. But before we stand and do that, can I just for a moment... I don't need, um, I, I don't think this moment needs um, praying over your lunch type prayers. I love those prayers. Those are great. God bless this food and then you devour. I love that prayer. I think these type of prayers require two o'clock in the morning, kids got a fever, there's nothing I can do, doctors are telling me there's nothing, that type of prayer. And I just feel like because of the nature of ministry that that's the type of prayer we should extend to our pastor's kids. So I'm going to ask you to pray like that with me for your pastor's kids. I was going to start naming them each out, but the truth is you guys multiply here. Like that, you like <laughs> live that name. So at this point, I don't even want to try. But could you stand with me all across the room? And let's appreciate our pastors by bringing their kids before the throne of God this morning. Can we do that? I know it's a little weird. That's all right. We'll get into this message. But let's pray for a moment. You mind? Would you extend your voice with me even now? Father, I thank you for the leadership that you have placed at this church. I thank you for the mantle that you've placed on Zach and the mantle that you've placed on this incredible team. And now, Father, we bring their children before you, God. We bring their kids before you and ask that you would bless them, God. That, yes, that you would protect them and keep them, but that you would make them threats to the gate of hell, Father. That every room they step in would be transformed because of what you've done in their lives. Lord, I pray a commissioning of this body that we would remember to lift up our PKs before you. I love Pastor's Appreciation Month. But in this moment, we lift up their kids before you, God. That you would give them dreams and vision that you would define purpose in them, God. I know that there's some of them are two and three years old. Some of them haven't even been born yet, and yet you are intricately moving every one of them together according to your word. There's intentionality. There's purpose. There's reason. I pray that the young women would wake up and, or, or grow up with an image of you in their hearts, Father. I pray that the young men would be world changers, waking up, Lord, being brought up with the image of you in their heart. 
We trust you. And ask you now, Father, that as we examine this word, we would allow it to examine our heart, bring the transformation we so desperately need. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated. Thank you for that, guys. Thank you so much for that. Pastor uh, Zach is one of my closest friends. Um, I didn't know what to think of him at first. Uh, I, I grew to love him almost instantly. He is my sneaker hookup. Um, someone asked me already, where did I get my sneakers from? I looked at him strange. I'm like, oh, you didn't know? Like, you could have just guessed Zach's where I got my sneakers from. But really, legitimately, you guys are absolutely blessed. When we did our APES study, um, for those of you who have been here for the last couple weeks, we talked about what it means to be an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a shepherd, a teacher. Um, we did a bunch of tests. I'm just going to tell you, we were all in the room saying, oh, I wonder what we got. Nobody wondered what Zach got. Like nobody even had, I mean, just an apostolic leader through and through. And it is obvious by what God is doing here in the middle of this city that he is living in the fullness of that gifting. So he is a gift to you, a gift to this community, and a gift to me, one of my closest friends. So uh, I know, Zach, you'll probably watch this later and take notes um, and tell me everything I did wrong. But I appreciate and love you. Jenna, I love you. I don't know. I think I saw you back here. It's good to see you. Love you this morning. Uh, where are my multipliers at? You got your booklets, which you wave them in the air for me one time. Yes. Yes. Now I'm going to ask you a strange question here. Question number one is, how many of you, I know this is going to be a little awkward. That's all right. This doesn't get pushed to anything except the internet. Um, how many of you have given, I mean, you've made five weeks of the six so far. Raise your hand. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So from now on, you can make fun of Pastor Zach for asking you to do something he wasn't willing to do. Just, I'm just kidding. We did the same thing in my church, and this morning there's somebody else in the pulpit making that same exact joke. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here. If you did not have your book with you, there is the, the digital version that's available on the Multiply Family app. I know that because we use that same version. But also, maybe this is your first week with us. You're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. If you want a booklet, all you have to do is raise your hand. I think we have some ushers in the back that will get them to you. Anybody need a booklet? Everybody got what they need? Amen. We got one booklet need over here. Awesome. Thank you, Megan. Give it up for Megan one time. She is incredible. We have been walking through the same study of what it means to be a multiplier, and we believe that God is using this study to break limitations and activate the fullness of the potential that the Lord has placed in every one of you. I don't know about you, but this study has been so life giving to me. The hope of it is that we would break the spirit of consumerism and move into this, this identity of a multiplier. And this week, I'm super excited. When Pastor uh, uh, Zach asked me to share, he kind of, you know, knew we would kind of be in this general area. And I, I love this. This week, we are studying what it means to multiply in soul winning. Multiply in soul winning. And the reason this is so important is because what we find in Scripture is soul winning is so important. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20, he says it like this. Therefore, Jesus speaking to his disciples, he says this, go and make disciples of all nations. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. If you have a paper Bible, because you're old school, somebody make a little noise. What I want you to do is just, just you, can, you can take this whole passage and write out to the side, multiply. Jesus' command in this passage was that you and I would be commissioned 
to bring other and make other disciples. That's the truth of this passage. Proverbs says it like this. We'll go Old Testament if you want. Proverbs 11 verse 30 says, he who wins soul is wise. Now, I want to make sure you understand that to the fullest. The reason why this is so important is because I'm just going to tell you, you can invest in all kinds of things. You can, invest in, you, you can invest financially in businesses, which, by the way, great, amen, expend, you know, expand the kingdom of God through financial giving. I love that. You can invest in your family. I think that that's super wise to invest in your, your kids and invest in, they, like, those are all great things. But when it comes to souls, souls is the one investment that's eternal. All other things shall pass away. Souls are the one thing that's eternal. And Proverbs says if you're going to invest in anything, you want the result of that investment to live beyond this temporary moment. And he says those who win souls are wise. I feel like Jesus reveals his heart for soul winning in Luke chapter 15. And that's where we'll spend a majority of our time if you want to push over there. Luke chapter 15. And this is an interesting picture. The passage says this. It says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Um, I love that because notorious, notorious sinners, not just like normal sinners, notorious sinners. How many in this room would be brave enough to say, I was a notorious sinner? Nobody. Okay, there's a couple of y'all. You know what I'm talking about. Like, notor I love that picture. Notorious sinner. The reason why I love that picture is in today's culture, we have a propensity to think that according to what kind of how we're living in the cultural climate that we live in, that the objective is isolation. That if we can just isolate, but the picture of God is actually the exact opposite. Jesus attracted notorious sinners. We're not just talking about people who cuss in, you know, in their car because somebody didn't you know, swerve right. My wife's not here, otherwise she would laugh a lot. Because, Anyway, um, we're talking about notorious sinners. Not just notorious sinners, but tax collectors. And I love that they bracket those two people. Like, you have your notorious sinners. And those guys who come to your house and tell you you owe taxes. Like, notorious sinners. It goes on to say this. It says, this made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Man, I, I just, as I studied this passage this week, I had a hard time getting past this part of the scripture because it just drove me to tears every time. I want you to see the picture. The religious just... I don't know what other word to say. I mean, just the, religi the religiosity. Zach said I was smart. He totally overhyped me. Um, <laughs> the the self-righteousness in this picture. How dare you eat with notorious sinners and tax collectors? I want to make sure that you also see the picture that Jesus' teaching drew all these people in the room. The religious hot, the the religious the self righteous, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. He drew them all in. The sinners, the saints, the tax collectors. He drew them all in. And I'm sorry, I don't know how to tell this. I tell you this. I'm not trying to bust your bubble, but to me, this is a picture of the church. 
a collection of people. Those who have kind of figured it out, those who haven't figured it out, the notorious sinners that are still trying to just make sure that they're still alive by this time next week, those who've been in, in church for 80 years and, and now no longer are they notorious sinners, but they like pointing out notorious sinners and all their notorious sins, right? Like all these people are drawn in. And I love this because I give it gives you a picture of the heart of Jesus. So Jesus, after these accusations, he gives them these three stories. I believe these three stories reveal the heart of our Savior for the lost. Because ultimately, and this is the only thing you have to fill out in your book this week. We gave you a little bit of a break. I love that. Jesus loves lost people. I ought to love what Jesus loves. I ought to love what Jesus loves. Verse 4. He tells a story about sheep. I love a story about sheep because... Uh, uh, just, I, I find that I, I function more as a sheep than I like to admit. Verse 4 says this, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? I have two kids. They're twin boys, uh, 10 years old, so the twin part maybe gives me a little bit of, but I can't tell you how many times I don't realize that one of them's lost. Could you imagine 99? Could you imagine, just for a moment, I read that this week for the first time and thought, he knew one of them was gone. How many people have kids in the room? Like, you, you know what I'm talking about. Like, where's Mary? I don't know. No one's seen her for 18 weeks. <laughs> She's just gone. If you have more than three kids, I feel you. I know it's a little uncomfortable because you don't want to, you know, to show, paint this picture that you don't love your kids. But for a moment, 99 sheep and one's gone. I want you to see how the picture is painted. It, it goes on to say, say, won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness? And go search for the one that's lost until he finds it. And, 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 and this is the first story, what we see is this picture of a shepherd recognizing that one's gone, leaving the 99, risking everything to find the one. I believe what it shows is, first of all, the grace of a shepherd who knows that there's one who's lost. Could you imagine the careful attention he would have to pay Listen, here is the problem within the scope of our church collectively, universally, big, you know, like the big picture of the church. Often today what we find is that we have a hard time even recognizing that someone's gone. What, what I love about Multiply Lake Norman is that what God is doing in this season is he's bringing people home. What he's doing in this season is that you found a place where you're noticed where you belong. But collectively as individual believers in the, in the community that we live in, we, we have to keep our hearts attuned to those who are lost around us. It's not just the grace of the shepherd that sees and notices the one, it's also the courage of the shepherd to pen up the 99 in the wilderness and do the work that's necessary to find the one. Uh, Isaiah says it like this in chapter 40, verse 11. It's a prophetic word about Jesus. He says, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arm, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. The picture that's painted is not just a picture of grace, not just a picture of courage, but listen to the, the amount of care for the lost. For the lost. The way the shepherd holds the sheep. I, I, I want to make sure that you catch this because I feel like in this story, what we find is the heart of God for the lost and how willing he is to look for the broken. 
to leave the masses to find the broken. Now, I'm just going to tell you, a church that is no longer concerned with the broken and the lost ceases to be a church and starts being a social club. And I'm just going to, for a moment, tell you, let me just hit a pause button real quick. I'm learning a lot about country clubs living in the area of Charlotte now or, or working in the area of Charlotte now. I like the idea. I, country clubs seem pretty cool to me. I don't know if I could ever afford to be in a country club unless, you know, they come up with a cheap country club. I was trying to like mini golf maybe. They have like a, a Chick-fil-A in there. Um, uh, I was going to say a gym, but who am I kidding? Um, but I, I've done some research on country clubs recently because uh, a couple of our people actually have family that have been a part of country clubs forever. And country clubs are pretty, they're pretty cool. You walk in, uh, of course, if you can afford it, you walk in and they kind of greet you at the door. They provide all these programmings, not just for you, but for your kids. You can play golf. Anybody a country club member? You don't have to raise your hand. I'm sorry. That was rude. Um, it's super like, uh, it's super exclusive. Like country clubs, really, the more exclusive a country club, the better they do when it comes to finances and marketing. And it's, it, it's like a heritage thing, like family lineages just kind of pass down membership to the country club. I was talking to somebody whose dad is now in a country club that his dad was in the country club and like their third generation. And when they walk into the country club, they know everybody's name. Like, how's your kids doing? How's this person? I mean, just down the line. It's phenomenal, right? The networking that happens in a country club. If you're a businessman in this room, you know this. Like, so many deals get done on a golf course. And if you're a part of a country club, that network is strong. Like, I, I'm not against country clubs. But what country clubs do is not what the church is formed to do. What country clubs do is exclusive. What, what a church is formed to do is everything but exclusive. If country clubs is what I do to go in order to kind of create that sense of exclusivity and network and just kind of find a little bit of a niche of a community, what a church is, is us finding lost family. Like, that's the picture. If everything else is closed doors, the church should always be open doors. And yes, that means there's going to be people who sit like uh, next to you, who don't look like you, who don't think like you, who don't come from your background. You might, do, and I, I, I know this sounds strong, uh, you might actually have to I don't know, love someone who doesn't look like you. That's the purpose of the church. At the core of it, that's what multiply is, is that I'm willing to go after the broken. Even if I mean, it means that I leave the comfort of that community. Um, Zach asked me to preach on the wrong week. This is the wrong week, Zach. What's happening today culturally is hyper-isolation. Hyper-isolation. And... You can blame social media all you want. You can blame the news all you want. But it's infected our homes to the point that eventually we have to blame ourselves. We have to blame ourselves. Hyper uh, isolation politically. I don't do life with anybody who doesn't think like I do politically. Hyper isolation when it comes to uh, 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 economics. I don't do life with anybody who doesn't live in my bracket. Like you, might, you might not say that, but for a moment, think about it. Think about it. It's kind of the way that culture has set us up. And the church has bit, hook, line, and sinker. And we're raising kids in bubbles of isolation 
for a perceived sense of safety, right? Like we're even using terms like that. We don't believe in, fa- uh, in fear. Like we're not driving or building programs off fear. But God forbid, like anybody steps into our bubble of isolation and what it's creating is a church that's isolated to itself that ceases being a church and is more of a social club. But quote unquote, at least my kids are safe. It's wrong week, pastor. Can, as a youth pastor for 20 years, can I just tell you, that perception that you are protecting your kids is absolutely alive from the pit of hell. Your kid was designed not to be isolated, but to be insulated. And there's a huge difference. That we would build a type of families that the gates of hell would tremble when your kid walks into a public school. That the gates of hell would tremble when you as a family walk into a mall or walk into a, an amusement park or walk into your workplace. It's too long the pictures have been that we can just isolate ourselves and keep ourselves distant and keep ourselves disconnected. That somehow one day God will come back and honor our isolation. Can I tell you he's not in the middle of that? No. He, he's the one that's being accused for hanging out with the notorious sinners and the tax collectors. For a moment, notice, he wasn't just hanging, he was eating with them. I know uh, for the people who like food in this room, this is a little distracting, including me because I'm ready for lunch. But the reason this is such a point in distinction is because it meant that he was sitting at tables. Often those tables were in homes. He was going, just see that picture. He was the, the hope of the world stepping into some of the most chaotic situations and bringing life and hope and destiny and love. That is the call of the church, that we would walk into some of those chaotic situations and bring love and hope and destiny. But John, it's so bad right now. The world's so bad right now. The church is in so much this, 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 this turmoil and chaos. The death of the church has been radically over-exaggerated. There is a church that is alive and living, and the Spirit of God is working in and through you to bring hope to the broken. I got to keep going. That, that's, that's, that's the sheep. If, if, we, if he left the others to find the lost, then we must be willing to leave the others to find the lost. And then he starts talking about a coin. He starts talking about a coin. He says this in, in verse 8. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. She lights a lamp and sweeps the entire house and searches carefully until she finds it. The picture that we see here is that if he carefully searches to find the lost, we must be careful to find the lost in our search. You ever lost something? Now, I, I know I say that and like you're like, oh, I lose my keys every week. I, I get it. Um, have you lost, ever lost something that's substantial? You ever lost a wedding ring? I remember a couple years ago, my wife uh, was putting lotion on her hands in our car at the... Um, in a parking lot at a church. And two days later, she's like, oh, I can't find my wedding ring. Um, so we did the thing that you do. Like we went on panic, oh my gosh, like that someone can buy a, a small RV with that wedding ring. More like a used Toyota, but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> don't judge me. I was broke. I was a pastor. Anyway, so we freaked out. Um, we checked everywhere we couldn't find everywhere the last place she remembers doing anything with the rings was at the church 
Sure enough, three days later, we got a phone call. Somebody found it in the grass where we had parked the car, which is crazy. It would be crazy. But we searched everything. I remember as a kid, I got lost one time. Um, I was super young. We were still in Massachusetts, so like six, seven years old. And uh, life was a little different back then. So I went to a, a store, and they had a toy section in like a, a, a grocery store because back then they didn't have stores for everything. They had an aisle. You had an aisle for your toy section. And I remember my parents were like, we're going to go. We're going to go. We're going to go. Anybody ever do this with your kid? And your kid just kind of, I'll be right there playing with everything, trying to put it in the cart. That, that was kind of what was happening. And my mom's like, we're going to go. We're going to go. Finally, I kind of tailed her, and as she took the corner, I ran back. And I'm like, ah, oh, toys, toys, toys. Well, you know, five minutes turned into ten minutes. I looked up. I couldn't see my mom. So I did what every six-year-old should never do. I freaked out and started running the opposite way. Oh, my gosh, where's mom? Where's mom? Where's mom? What I didn't know is my mom was freaking out because she recognized that I was gone, went back to the toy aisle where I should have been, and I wasn't there. To make matters even worse, I turned on one of the aisles, and there was a maintenance man pushing a cart, and that uh, garbage can's uh, edge went right into my eye. So now I flipped over, and I'm like on the floor crying like a maniac. I was six. Give me a break, right? Like um, my eyes bruised. The, the maintenance guy thinks he's about to lose his job. The store's thinking they're going to be sued. And my mom, at this point, had left the store thinking that I went back to the car. She's freaking out. I get brought up to the front of the store, and because my mom's outside, they start making an announcement. Hey, if you're missing this kid, he's at the front. Eventually, they got me to calm down and give my mom's name. She had walked in, and she had come to see me. Now, I'm just going to tell you, if it was two aisles and five minutes, my mom would have been really mad. If it was four aisles and ten minutes, she would have been a little less mad, more afraid. Because now we're talking 10 to 15 minutes, and she was in the uh, the mall, in the parking lot, looking for me like crazy. She's not angry at all. Now she's at a point where it's all changed. Now, now it's absolute fear in her heart. She's picking me up. She's not, there's no d discipline. She's just hugging me as hard as she can. Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? What she did in that moment was she carefully searched. And when she found me, our hearts connected. What was lost was now found. What, I, what I've learned is this. The length you're willing to go to find something is often dependent on your perceived value of that thing. I want to say that again because I want to make sure that this paints the right picture of this passage. The length you're willing to go to find that thing is often dependent on your perceived worth of that thing. The picture painted here is that when the lost are lost, the church should do everything. Shut it all down. We're going on a search. Uh, bef before we're worried about lights and smoke, before we're worried about whether or not the worship leader, you know, feeds me this week, before we're worried or not uh, Pastor Zach does a good job of eloquently breaking down the passage, my question to you is, are you carefully searching for the lost? 
Are you broken with the idea that there's neighbors in, in, in your neighborhood that you've been gifted by God to be a part of that, that circle of influence, that there are neighbors waking up this morning in sheer brokenness? They're not sure if the marriage is going to make it. They're worried about their kids and their kids' college their college uh, education. They're worried about whether or not they're going to be able to pay the mortgage there. In, uh, anxiety is running rampant. Depression's running rampant. Are you concerned to the point that you're willing to do careful searching? It's the heart of a soul winner that I'm willing to do whatever's necessary to carefully search. And then there's this passage that messes me up. Luke 15. Uh, I wasn't going to do this, but I, I have enough time to do it. Luke 15, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there with me. Um, Luke 15 is a parable uh, of, of the lost son. And it's the longest parable of the three, but I think there's an intentionality here. It, it says this, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, um, I want... Uh, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So as a father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. That's verse 12. Um, and why this passage has always spoke so, I mean, so clearly to me is because, well, the sheep wandered, the coin got lost, and we'll talk about this in a moment, but the son willingly decided to walk away, a willing decision. And, and if you read the rest of the story, which you don't have too much time here to do, but if you read the rest of the story, what you'll find is in his walking away, he took his father's inheritance and he squandered it. Like every decision he made was a bad decision. He made bad investments. He invested it into party, partying. He invested it in a type of lifestyle that wasn't pleasing to the father. Just want to pause. Um, it's really easy to disconnect a person who completely and totally goes against everything that I believe in. And yet, what we find is when he gets to the end of himself, um, I know we like to put ourselves in the position of the father, and we'll get there, but can I tell you, I find myself at the position of the son more than I like to admit, where I find myself at the end of me. And in this story, particularly what we find is the end of him was not pretty. He's broke, um, basically looking for food, contemplating eating out of pig troughs. And he makes this statement. He said, even in my father's house, the servants eat better than I do. Um, maybe my father will take me back. I wish I had more time. But he has this conversation with himself about how he was going to when his father, when he sees his father, he's going to lay out this kind of excuse, this, hey, I'm sorry, I messed up, I'm throwing myself at your mercy. And yet, what we find his father's response, um, the kid doesn't even get a chance to actually lay out his guilt. No, when he sees his father, his father runs to him. I, I love that picture because I don't know about you, but maybe I'm just being a little if you allow me to be a little vulnerable with you, there's been seasons in my filth where I've had that thought in my head when it comes to God. Well, Father, I'm going to try better. I just, I'm so sorry. I screwed up. I tripped up. In the picture that we find here, the heart of Jesus for the broken, he's not worried about their excuses. Can I just pause and tell you, the church has to stop worrying about people's excuses. People sin because they sin. Sin is sin. 
Oh, John, you don't understand the gravity of this thing. No, you don't get the gravity of the grace of God, who before the son says a word, he runs to him. Not only does he run to him, but he does this verse 15, uh, verse 22. He says, the father said to the servant, quick, bring me the finest robe in the house. I mean, he just squandered everything. He doesn't deserve the finest robe. No, no, you don't understand the grace of God. Bring him the finest robe. Now, you got to kind of catch this picture here because coats were giving in the blood covenant one to another in order to represent heritage. What he was saying is you were gone, you were lost, and now when you're coming back, it's as if I gained a son back. You now get the family robe. He's in a moment redefining identity, redefining destiny. When the drug addict walks in, when, 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 when the person who walks into the room who, 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 is, who has cheated on his wife and cheated on his, he's just a cheater. He's cheated on everything. It doesn't matter their filth. Notice, the first thing that happens is a reestablishment of identity and lineage. That the church, that here in, in Multiply Lake Norman, we would be known as people that when the broken walk in, we're not trying to figure out how to point out every one of their sins. No, no. We're giving them the finest robe, reestablishing identity, reestablishing purpose. You are a multiplier, and I've got a son. We have more family. Families come. Families come home. He says, uh, get, the, get the ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Again, the ring represents heritage. The sandal, just provision and kill the calf that we've been fattening. We, we must celebrate with a feast. The son returns in shame, but is celebrated in love. When we come into, into contact with broken people as soul winners, you just have to expect sharp edges. But in the return for their shame, there has to be love. There has to be love. Um, if, if you would excuse me for a moment of maybe being a little personal with you. I think the problem is some of us have forgotten what the pig slop smells like. You were there. But by the grace of God. You were there. John, I, it, just, it wasn't that bad. I got saved my whole life. No, no. Hear, hear me. To not have a relationship with God means that eternity is not promised. There's not real love. There's not real hope. So, yeah, so you got spared at eight years old. You, you should be the first one. You should be the first one. Extending grace to the broken. But we, we, we unfortunately forget what the slop smells like. There's, there's a party. And this is what's crazy. There's a, there's a party for, um, and, and, and for the son. But it's not just the son. If you go back into each of these stories, there's, there's actually three parties at the end of all these. There's the party for the son. And then the woman who found the coin, she calls all her friends. She's like, I got that money. They have a party, probably spent the coin. I don't know why it makes sense, but it does, whatever. Like, they party. Not only did they find a, a, a coin and, and party, not only did the son get blessed, and then they party, but you know what he did when they found the sheep? He called all his neighbors. He said, look, the sheep's come back. We, we found him wandering. He came back. There was a, there was a party. Matter of fact, the, the, the passage, verse 7 of, of, of Luke says it this way. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who's lost, who repents, who returns to God, than over 99 others who are righteous and have not strayed. What? No, no. 
When the broken come home, there's a party. The church should always be a party. It should always be a party. There should always be joy here. There should always be happiness. We should always be celebrating because these altars should always be filled with broken people who have found their way home. And as a family, we're celebrating. We're reestablishing identity. We're giving them family again. We're, we're bringing them in. Well, um, so like, like everything else, if heaven throws a party when, when lost people are found, we must be willing to throw a party when the lost is found. So that, that's the heart of what it means to be a soul winner. Listen, we got you some really practical tools this week. Sitting on your desk is a mobilization deck. You don't have to open it, but I'm just going to open it real quick for you. The mobilization deck is just a simple way for you to share the love and hope of God with somebody. This is just a simple card that says you're amazing. On the back, it gives some scriptures and a QR code where they can kind of explore why they're so amazing and how the love of God is for them. There's like five or six different designs in a stack of decks. Uh, in this stack of deck, you're like, uh, I'm maybe not the person. You know, this is just an easy tool for you to have with you. Stick it in your car. Stick it in your purse from time to time. Throw it in a meal. Make sure you tip well, though. Don't throw it in a meal if you haven't tipped well. Because that's just a bad, that's a bad witness. That's a bad witness. Some people are like, man, I would love to be a soul winner, but I don't know how. I don't know how to tell people my story. Here's the truth. Like, telling people your story should be the easiest thing. You're like, well, I'm not a theologian. Well, that's great. I'm glad you're not a theologian. You're probably complicated like we do all the time. But really what God is asking that you would tell your story. You're like, oh, I've never seen that in Scripture. Revelation says when he's speaking about the overcoming of the saints, how they overcome? By the blood of the Lamb and the what? Word of their testimony. Your story. So what does that look like? Again, we tried our hardest to make this as simple as possible. In the book, we've given you a step-by-step -step way to break this out. What we have said is simply this. Number one, there was a time in my life when dot, dot, dot. Write your story out. What was your life before Jesus? Just, for, just, just a little tip here. We have a tendency of, of exaggerating that part of our life. There's no need. The devil doesn't need more credit. You'd be amazed how honest, if you're just honest with people, this doesn't even have to be just like when you came to the faith. This can be a testimony of what God's done in your life last week. There was a time where I got a tax bill, and I'm just going to tell you, I didn't know how God was going to show up. There was a time when dot, dot, dot. The next step, then Jesus. Then Jesus showed up. Listen, if you're going to glorify anything, you glorify God in this moment. This is when God showed up. Not only when this is when God show up, now, and I, and I love this part because I love bragging about what God's doing in my life now. Now there's peace. Now there's joy. Now there's hope. Now this is what it looks like, that my wife was struggling with cancer. Now she's been healed by the Spirit of God, walking around, doing fine. Now what? Now what? This is when I glorify about my God. I'm just going to tell you, one of the easiest ways to bring someone to the faith is just by simply telling your, telling your story. But... Back, back to the lost coin, lost sheep, and the lost son, and then we'll close this, this time out. I love the way your band gently came up here to remind me I was running over time. It's all right. It's your fault, Pastor Zach. You shouldn't have gone out of sea overseas. Uh, three stories, and, and this is what messed me up all week. Number one, uh, the coin was dropped. It was lost. No effort of its own. It just was lost. And the sheep, the sheep was wandering. Um, I don't know about you, but sometimes it's hard to blame my kids for wandering, right? Like they're kids. That's what kids are going to do. 
in their own ignorance, they just wandered. Lost son, though, the lost son willingly considered what he had and chose to walk away. But here's the hope of this story. It doesn't matter. They all got found. So I don't care if you're in this room and you got dropped. Meaning, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. This is my first kind of exposure to the gospel. Like, I don't know if I found a place. No, 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 no. No, no. Hear me. All of this, all of this, that invitation that random friend sent you, that conversation you had at a coffee shop with Amory, like, all of this, all of this was designed because the shepherd is saying, it doesn't matter if you would drop, I'm doing everything so that you're found. Or, or maybe you've wandered. You know, 20 years in now, 30 years in now, maybe you just graduated college and it's just college got crazy and I just kind of, I've known, but I've wandered, wandered. I didn't make a willing choice. Hear me. The shepherd, the shepherd is saying, I got you. Come home. You know how many people stay outside of the context of the love and the community of God because of shame? Come home. Yes, it's some of our fault of that shame because what they've learned is that if they come into some communities, they're going to get really kind of lambasted and everything's going to be pointed out. No, 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 no. No, the picture of the shepherd is that he goes to them, he picks them up, he keeps them close. I love this picture of the shepherd's heart and the sheep's heart because I don't know if you know this, one of the things with kangaroo care that I've learned with holding my kids is that whatever's close to my heart, if it has a heartbeat, our heartbeats become succinct. And what God is saying is, hey, even before we deal with the sin of your life, when you come close, when you come close, our hearts succinct. Love that picture. So you might you might have wandered. That's okay. You can be found. Maybe you made a willing choice. Maybe it was the death of your dad. Maybe it was a bad relationship with a quote-unquote Christian. Maybe it was a professor in college. Maybe it was a, a bad experience. And you willingly, willingly made a conscious decision and said things like, I'm not sure I believe that there's a God. I'm not I'm sure I believe in a church. I, I, I don't know if I believe in Jesus. And you willingly chose to walk away. Hear me. The proof is in the pudding. This passage makes no distinction. It says you can be found. You can be found. Um, I was found at um, my, my freshman year of high school. I was... Uh, Five foot nothing, as you can imagine. Uh, um, a lot skinnier with a bigger head. And I've always been able to kind of use my words. It's, it's been my gifting. Um, I used to think it was a superpower. Now it's just gifting. And uh, I use it wrong. I use it for all the wrong reasons. It, it got me out of fights. I was the kid that you got really mad at and you wanted to fight, but he said something and you felt embarrassed, so you didn't throw the punch. And while you were embarrassed, he ran and cowered in a corner because he thought you were going to kill him. That was me. That was, that was, that was me. And um, I also use it to kind of get what I needed, specifically when it came to girls. Like, I'm not trying to be braggadocious. I'm not trying to exaggerate that part of my life. But uh, there was this really pretty blonde. She's about six foot two. And if it wasn't for the way that I talked, there's no way I could have got this girl. Like, there was 50,000 other choices, but... I worked on it. I worked at it. It was so bad. We used to, like, she was so tall. We used to walk down the, the, the halls like this. I mean, she was, she was, 
She was beautiful. And I did everything that I could to make sure she was good. And like I would walk her to class and I would say things like, girl, I'm not going to be able to breathe until I see you again. Single guys in the room, write that down. Just put it in your journal somewhere. Guys right here, just write it down. High school, middle school, it worked. It worked. It worked. Uh, sorry, you're never going to have me back. That's okay. Um, her name was Jen Brokinkowitz, and she was gorgeous. We, we used to meet at lunch and talk all the time. She had a friend named Moni. Um, Moni was a little bit annoying because she was shorter than I was, and her and Jen were really good friends. And every time I tried to get close to Jen, like Moni would kind of slip into the middle. Um, Moni looked a little bit like Dora the Explorer. I loved her. Uh, she was great. Um, but she was an Egyptian, and um, she was a, I found out she was an Egyptian Pentecostal. So um, Jen and Moni used to always have these conversations, and Jen would come back visually just frustrated. And finally, I broke the, the ice, and I'm like, listen, girl, what's going on? I'm concerned for you. I'm 16 years old. I like a concern. Come on. But whatever, I'm, I'm concerned for you, girl. Like, every time you talk with Moni, you seem frustrated. She's like, oh, well, the truth is, John, I, I went to church with Moni over the summer, and I gave my life to the Lord. And from the day that you started talking with her, she's just a little concerned because, well, you, you're not a believer. I go, what, really? She's like, yeah, I'm like, girl, you don't understand. My dad's a pastor. Hear me. Watch the picture. Watch the picture. This girl I, I was close with, talked every day with, she had no idea I was a believer. Because I wasn't. But I went to church every Sunday. So she was like, oh, well, what you need to do is come to my Bible study. We had a Bible study at school, and that was going to solve the problem. That's all Moni was asking her to do. So I showed up to the Bible study. Show up to the Bible study. I could teach it if you want me to. What passage we in? I'm ready to go. Walked into that Bible study, sat in the back of the class, waiting on Jen and Moni, and they never showed up. Or at least they did, but not before God did. And I'm just going to tell you, the teacher got to the teaching stand and opened up her Bible. She was super old. There was so much dust out the Bible. She's like, Pff. and um, she began to speak out of John 3.16. Come on, my Bible, my Bible, I've been in church my whole life, people. Are you serious? John 3.16? I could quote this for you in three languages. Like, John 3.16, really? Why am I in this room for God to love the world? And I don't know what happened that day. I don't know what it was about that moment. But God loving the world meant that he loved me. That whosoever, and for the first time what I heard was that if John just decides, whosoever believes in me, that if I believed in God, that I wouldn't perish, but I would have eternal life. God didn't send his son in the world to condemn it, but that somehow I could find life through him. That's when I was stunned. Because a girl who looked like Dora the Explorer, Moni, Moni decided that I was worth searching carefully for. Why I'm so passionate about this topic is because Lake Norman is filled with Johns. I don't mean it that way. I'm sorry. I know that sounds like a scary picture. Um, but they're filled with us in our broken place. And they're, I, I'm not going to see them. Pastor Zach's not going to see them. I mean, Pastor Zach, he gets around, man. He's going to see some of them. But you're going to see them when you walk into your office tomorrow. 
And what you're seeing is, oh, they're politically different than I am. And, oh, they think differently than I am. And, oh, I went to church this Sunday, and they were at the club, and they got all drunk and lit. And, and now they're, they're tearing their lives apart. They get what they deserve. No, 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 no. That's not the heart of a multiplier. The heart of the multiplier is searching carefully for the lost, leaving the 99 to find the one that you and I would do the work of the church, that we would find family members and do what's necessary, do what's necessary at all costs, even if it means that I'm uncomfortable, to bring the broken home, that they would find life, hope, and the love of Jesus, that they would come wide awake and fully alive. And maybe that's you in this moment. And I'm just going to tell you, can we take our Sunday masks off for a moment? Maybe you're lost. You're like, I, I don't know, Pastor John, like, I'm, I'm with you, but I'm not, like, I'm not. Look, if you're lost, you have something in common with everyone in the room. All of us have fallen sin, uh, short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. All of us have been lost. The only difference is some of us have found home. And we have collectively come together and spent all this time and energy to let you know that there's a God who's waiting for you to come home. So with your, with your head bowed and eye closed, I'd just like to end our time maybe giving you that chance. Are you broken? Are you lost? Doesn't matter how you got here. The beauty of the gospel is that Christ came, that we would have life and have it to the fullest. He gave his life, that we could be found, that we can walk in right relationship with him and right relationship with one another. And I, I would love for this to be a moment where you can find home through Jesus Christ. If that's you, I'd love to pray with you and in the quietness of this moment to kind of respect you and those around with every head bowed and eye closed. You're saying, that's me, Pastor John. Would you pray for me? All I'm going to simply ask is that you put a hand on your heart as a sign between you and the Father. I'm broken, and I want to, to give my life to Jesus. I want to be made whole. I want to be found. Father, for every hand on every heart in this room, Lord, for every hand on every heart, maybe even this week as they're watching YouTube videos, God, like for every hand on every heart, we pray even now. We confess that you are Lord, that you are who you said you are, Lord, that, that you are everything, that when we submit and surrender our lives to you, God, you, you, we're found, that there's home, that we could come wide awake and fully alive to your promises. So even now, Father, we dedicate this moment to say, we give you our lives, that we would be made wide awake and fully alive, and we glorify you for it, in Jesus' name. Now, church, I'm going to ask you to do something. Would you stand all around this room? Let's celebrate those who have found their way back home. Woo!